go ahead and turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And uh, we're not going to read it all at this time. We will kind of work our way through the text as I challenge you to think about a few things as we close out the year. And so I've titled this an end-of-year meditation. We get so busy, even during the Christmas season, even though we're out of school and maybe have a little time off work, a little bit for some of you, we often fail to take time to do a little bit of spiritual inventory. And so that's what I want to challenge you to do. Next week, we'll start the new year off with a a look at a, a challenge that the Lord would have us receive as far as vision and uh, everybody's thinking about resolutions and setting goals and all of that. And so we have time uh, to talk about that next week. But before we end this year, I want to challenge you with this end of year meditation. So I placed in your bulletin a little handout that has not only the outline to the message this morning, but just a few application questions. This might be especially handy, handy for those of you who journal. And if you don't journal, you could. But for those of you who journal, to, to use this as a guide in your journal. If you don't journal, feel free to take this. Stick it in your Bible somewhere, somewhere you'll look at it. Um, Hopefully you'll open your Bible throughout the week, but take some time, maybe perhaps having a quiet time, three, four days during the week. Read over these scriptures again, ask these questions, and begin to to jot down a few things. I think by the time we finish looking at the text this morning, you'll see why I'm asking you to do that. You'll understand the significance of that. But keep this in mind. You know, we, we come to the end of the year, and we're asking the question, well, what was I accomplished? Uh, what was I accomplishing this year? What, what can I look back and say, man, man, that was wonderful. I was glad I experienced that, glad I accomplished that. Man, look what God did in my life here, or how God worked in that situation. Or here's something that caught me off guard. I didn't see that coming. So we, we take time to look back. But at the end of our life, what will it be except for the sum total of all those years that we did that? And what is a year but the months and a month but the weeks and weeks but the days and days but the hours? See, when we begin to take inventory like that, it causes us to ask ourselves, are we making something out of our lives? What's the legacy that we want to leave? What's the legacy we're leaving whether intended or not intended? I pulled up some of these famous epitaphs that were found on real tombstones, and I wonder if we would have something like this written on our tombstone. This one was found in Pennsylvania. It said, here lies the body of Jonathan Blake, stepped on the gas instead of the brake. I love this one from Nevada. Here lies Butch, we planted him raw. He was quick on the trigger, but slow on the draw. There's a, a true, here's one from uh, a guy by the name of B.P. Roberts from Georgia. This is classic from Georgia. It just simply said, I told you I was sick. <laughs> what about this? Uh, it's one of my favorite. I, I think that I've heard uh, Chuck Swindoll mention this one before. It's uh, written on a tombstone in Nantucket, Mass- uh, Massachusetts. It says, under the sod and under the trees lies the body of Jonathan Pease. Peas is not here. There's only the pod. Peas shelled out and went to God. <laughs> well, there's a lot of truth to that one, isn't there? If he knew the Lord, certainly. Be absent from the body, be present with the Lord. Harry Edsel Smith of Albany, New York, said uh, his tombstone just simply said this. 
I guess somebody else had this inscribed for him, obviously. You, he says, says that he, he looked up the elevator shaft to see if the car was on its way down. It was. <laughs> Some of you will get that later. <laughs> Here's one of my favorite from uh, a cemetery in Maryland. Here lies an atheist, all dressed up and no place to go. And uh, Frank Sinatra has on his tombstone, and I hope it's true for him, it is for me, the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. Of course, that's uh, the title of a song that he did many, many years ago. The best is yet to come, and I believe that for me, the best is yet to come, and I pray that for you, the best is yet to come. Don't wait until the end of your life, though, to meditate on what God is doing or to begin uh, to think about what might be written on your tombstone. More importantly, ask the question, what is being written with my life as I live out each day and each year? And use this upcoming week, this end of the year sort of week, to reflect. And then as we transition into 2014, can you believe we're saying that? One sign that you're getting older, I remember when I was younger, it took me a while to adjust to writing the new church year now it's just kind of like writing a new month or a new day. It just comes naturally. As a matter of fact, I get ahead of myself sometimes and, and go ahead and start writing 2014 before it even gets here, which is probably not a good thing. But as you look over the past year, you can say God has done great things. And if you can say God has done great things, you can look at the new year and say the best is yet to come. So use this as a guide. Use this handout, this insert as a guide. And uh, begin this morning to put put some thoughts down. Maybe you want to even jot a few notes as we work our way through the text this morning. Just jot a few notes as we see what the Spirit of God is saying to us. First of all, reflect on the seasons that you faced this past year. Reflect on the seasons that you faced. Look at verse 1. It says, to everything there is a season and a time for every purpose under the heavens. A time for every purpose. Life is full of seasons, and we need to learn how to view life in seasons. Now, sometimes we do that with the big picture. We say that during our youth and through the adolescent years, which seem to get longer and longer these days, through those years we call that the spring of life where we're growing and learning and discovering what we're going to do the rest of our lives. And then we get into the summer years, those hard working years where we're really giving it all we've got and we're investing and we're still learning and, and, and cultivating, but we're, we're in the summer of our life. And then we kind of move into the fall of our life, those harvest years. And as a pastor, you've heard me say this before, but I was challenged by uh, Dr. Paige Patterson as a, as a young preacher. He said, keep yourself pure and clean and, and work hard before God because it's going to be in your 50s and in your 60s. Those are going to be the harvest years of your life. And so some of you are in those harvest years of your life. And then some are in the winter years. So we might look at our life as the winter years being those years of reflecting, those years of passing on something to the next generation. And so we can see our whole life in seasons. 
But can you look at the past year? Obviously, we have winter, spring, summer, and fall throughout the year. But can you look at the past year and see that there were highs and lows? There were seasons you went through that you thought would last forever, just like a a cold, dark winter that you go through and you think, is this winter ever going to end? And finally, it comes to an end. Maybe you have gone through a difficult season like that over the past year. Or maybe you've gone through a spring or or a summer, some beautiful moments. And so he begins to break down a description of these seasons. Let's see how many you can identify with as we work our way through here. As you reflect on the seasons you faced this past year. He says in verse 2, there's a time to be born and a time to die. Well, we've said goodbye to some loved ones this past year. That we're going to miss greatly. But we've also said hello to new life and babies that have come into this world. It says there's a time in in verse 2, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted where we have invested and worked hard and poured our life into things, or maybe we've begun to reap the fruit of that, and we need to take a moment to enjoy that harvest time. He says there in verse 3, there is a time to kill and a time to heal. Now, I realize that we sometimes take that time to kill to mean, man, it's time to go to war, and certainly that could be part of it. There was a book written by Grisham, A Time to Kill, that they made a movie about saying, man, there's a time you just got to go and and take matters into your own hand and exercise vigilante justice. That's not what it's talking about here. These phrases are each one set in contrast with the one that follows. And so the fact that he says a time to kill and a time to heal means there are plagues that come in. There are seasons in life that come in. And unfortunately, the result of that is that it it brings about death. And it can't happen without God's permission. God is sovereign over all of that. But there is a time that things like cancer and heart disease And yes, violent crimes and wars, there are things that come in and kill and and seem to take life even from those who are breathing. But then there's a time to heal, and in God's sovereignty, He brings about miraculous healing physically and spiritually and emotionally. And so there are seasons where it seems that we can't escape death and other seasons where we're celebrating the healing power of God and the life that He brings. There's a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh. Not only should you experience that throughout the year, I think you should experience that on a daily basis, a weekly basis. There should be something each week that makes you laugh and something each week that allows you to shed a tear. There's a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. Within the same families, this past year there have been moments of mourning followed by moments of dancing. There's a time to cast away stones, a time to gather stones, a time to embrace, a time to refrain from embracing, time that you just want to grab your kids and hug them, hold them tight, and a time that you want to exercise a little bit of discipline in their life. (laughs) You go through those seasons of life, and sometimes both of those happen within the same hour. Time to gain and a time 
to lose, a time to keep and a time to throw away. Now, when I look at verse 6, first of all, I'm glad that my hope, my eternal hope is not based on what the stock market's doing, but there are times it gains and there are times it loses and it changes on a daily basis. You can drive up and down the road. I remember when I was a child, not only were the gas prices only about one-fourth of what they are now, but you could uh, see them set a price of gasoline and leave it for a couple of months. And even if the, the oil market went up and down or whatever, they just left the price of gas alone for a little while. Now they watch it every day. It's going up and down. The price of gas is going up and down. Stock market's going up and down. And, and it's just kind of there's a time to game and a time to lose, and those seasons come and go. And those of us uh, who don't have as much in the stock market probably aren't that worried about it, but others kind of uptight about it. Well, the truth of the matter is God's got it all. It's, this is all under the sovereign hand of God, seasons that he allows to come in to life. Time to keep, time to throw away. Probably within every marriage there's the pack rat that wants to hold on to everything and somebody who says it's time to get rid of it. So there's a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak up, a time to love and a time to hate, a time of war and a time of peace. What seasons have you been through? What's the point? God allows these seasons into your life. If he didn't allow the seasons into your life, what, what if it were always winter or always spring or always summer or always fall? We would be so bored with it. The wonderful thing about seasons is they're always changing, and we don't know what to expect in a season. We don't know in Georgia if December the 21st, the first day of winter, is going to be 80 degrees or if it's going to be 20 degrees. We have no way to prepare for that. We don't know what tomorrow holds, but we know who holds tomorrow. And we know that God has sovereignly allowed these seasons to come into our life, and we need to reflect on those seasons. So as you reflect, as you journal a few things. And I want to challenge you to do this. I want to challenge you to do this, men, because it's hard for us to do sometimes. I want to challenge you to do this so that as you have gone through the seasons of life, your thoughts have been recorded for your children and your grandchildren. Now, I have the good fortune of being able to have many of my thoughts recorded because you hear them preached on a regular basis. And so when I'm gone from this world, I hope they can find a cassette tape and say, what in the world is that? Or a CD or whatever. I hope that my thoughts and my words are recorded. But I also try to journal as often as I can, write down these things. Yes, it's my conversation with God. And right now it's intimate and it's private. But one day I hope that my children and my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren can read and understand how I responded biblically to the seasons of life. And so I want to challenge you to do that. So reflect on these things. Write these things down. Record them somewhere that you can hold on to them. And so here's some thoughts that are in your handout there as you examine these verses. What experiences come to mind? How might God even be using the negative extremes to shape your life for His glory? And once you have done that, then you can move on to the second consideration here, and that's rejoice in the satisfaction that you felt. We have permission to enjoy life. Rejoice in the satisfaction that you felt. I know heaven is still to come. I know when we say the best is yet to come, yes, one day we'll step into eternity. One day the Lord will call us home. 
whether through the rapture or whether he says it's time, it's appointed and a man wants to die, this, this life is over, I'm calling you home, the best is yet to come. But I believe that means even in this life we can enjoy life. Peter said he who would love life and, and see good days, and so it's okay to love the life that God has given you. What profit, this is verse 9, what profit has the worker from that in which he labors? I've seen the God-given task with which the sons of men are to be occupied. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has put eternity in their hearts. What is he saying? Even though life is full of hard work, verses 9 and 10 remind us, man, what's this all about? Man, life is tough. Life is full of hard work. And I don't care if you're a CEO of a major corporation or a stay-at-home mom, life is full of hard work. But don't see joy as the opposite of work. Romans chapter 14 and verse 17 says, The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That tells me, it reminds me of something that I've kind of made a personal life motto of mine, and that is this. Enjoy the journey. Don't be so dead set on what all of the goals are. We're going to talk about goals next week, but enjoy achieving the goals as much as you enjoy the goal itself. Enjoy the journey. Enjoy the process. Rejoice in the satisfaction that you feel in that hard work, in that process. Look at verses 11 through 13. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he's put eternity in their hearts, except that no one can find out the work that God does from the beginning to the end. We don't know what God is up to all the time. We can enjoy the journey. I know that nothing is better for them than to rejoice and to do good in their lives, and also that every man should eat, drink, and enjoy the good of all his labor. It is the, you say, wait a minute, maybe, you know, Ecclesiastes, it's kind of hard to interpret sometimes, isn't it? Is he being cynical here? Is this the futility? Is this the frustration? No, this, he says, is God's gift. What he's describing in verses 9 through 13, he says, this is God's gift. Work hard, live a holy life, Bring an eternal perspective. In other words, we need to always be asking, what does what I am doing right now have to do with the kingdom of God? How can I use this to glorify God? Matthew six thirty three. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Seek God first, put him first place, involve him in everything in your life. Get in on what he's doing in and through and around you. Give him the glory, and if you're doing that, enjoy it. Enjoy that process. So what's his kingdom purpose as it relates to what you're doing? You can experience satisfaction with your family. We need to learn to enjoy our family. In our faith, serving the Lord together with the body of Christ, Enjoy our home, our career. Enjoy, here's one I won't get too many amens about. Enjoy school while you're there because it's not going to last forever. So learn to enjoy it. Yeah, work hard. What is he saying here? If you're working hard, you're living with eternity in mind, you're doing your very best in your schoolwork, your relationships, you're respecting your teachers. 
then you can have a good time in the process. I discovered that. I'm so glad I discovered that before I got into high school. If you'll go in and just plan ahead of time to be that teacher's pet, serve them, bless them any way you can, even the ones you don't like, you'll enjoy school a little bit more. Build some good friendships that you'll discover will last forever. Bring some accountability into your life. We'll talk about it in just a moment. See, if we're living this life, he's saying you have, no, you have no regrets when you're putting God first and you're living for him and involving him in everything in work and play and family and faith and everything is centered around the God life, then you can enjoy it. And it's okay to enjoy it and celebrate that. So for what 2013 highlights are you most grateful? When did you feel most fulfilled in your work? At home, your business, education, your church service? Everything you were involved in, what brought the most fulfilling moments? And rejoice in the satisfaction that comes from that because that will motivate you to be more involved where God has equipped you to be involved. And then number three, review the sacred things you forgot. Review those sacred things that you forgot. There comes a point of accountability in this process. As we look back over the past year, It'd be great if none of us had any regrets, but the truth of the matter is there are probably some things in life that we would have done differently if we could go back and do it again. Now, we can't go back and relive 2013. And some of you are saying, thank God I wouldn't want to. But God does restore the years to the locust state. We can say, you know what, I'm going to learn from the mistakes, and I'm not going to get stuck in some kind of rut I'm going to experience something different for 2014. Verse 14 says, I know that whatever God does, it shall be forever. See, the the message of Ecclesiastes is is futility of life without God. It's, It's simply the futility of life without God, without the eternal perspective. So I know whatever God does, it shall last forever. Nothing can be added to it, nothing taken from it. God does it. That men should fear before him. So when you hear people quote verses from Ecclesiastes, don't hear Solomon to be saying that all is vanities out of context. What Solomon is saying is if you get out from under God's authority and you're not living for eternal purposes with eternal perspective, if you're living for yourself, If you're singing Frank Sinatra's other song, I Did It My Way, then you're going to find out life is futile and and you're going to waste a lot of years. Then it will be vanity. But when I'm close to God, living for his purposes, life becomes meaningful. And God will have us give an account. Why do we want to review the sacred things we forgot now? We want to take inventory now because one day we'll have to give an account to God. God does it that men should fear before him. Verse 14, look at verse 15. That which is has already been and what is to be has already been. And God requires an account of what is past. God's taking inventory. And and we have to stand before him accountable for our actions. That means we need to take inventory. If I'm going to have to give an account to the bank for my expenditures one day, I better keep the checkbook, or thank God for 
Tina keeping up with the checkbook, right? Which I know is, we, we do all that online and, and all of that now, but certainly you, you look at it from time to time to know how you're doing, right? To say, okay, did I spend more than I made? Did I, am I budgeting? Am I being careful with this or careful with that? Well, you say that would be foolish not to look. Well, it's foolish not to take spiritual inventory of our life. For some of you, that means to start for the first time in your life keeping a calendar. How do you know at the end of the year what you did with your time over the past year? Well, that's easy. I clocked in and I clocked out. Life is much more than that. How did you spend it? What were you doing that was significant for the kingdom? Not to me, at least, not keeping a calendar, not keep, keeping some kind of track of what I do on a daily basis for the glory of God. How I spend my time would be like not keeping a checkbook, not keeping tabs on expenditures and receipts. So that's how you review the sacred. As you look back over the past year, have you worshipped? Have you witnessed? Have you served? Have you invested in the kingdom? As you look back over the past year, on average, how was your daily quiet time? And what spiritual vitality did you draw from spending time alone with God on a daily basis? What scriptures touched your life this past year? See, could I come up to you after the service and have a one-on-one conversation and say, what scripture really touched your life this past year? Would you just draw a blank? I don't know. I wasn't really paying attention to all that. Or did God speak to you and you jot something down because it was life-changing? What books did you read this past year? Something that equipped you to be the man of God, the woman of God, the child of God that he's called you to be? What relationships did you strengthen? Or as you give an account to God this morning, are you saying, you know what? I knew there was a relationship that I needed to strengthen with that parent, with that child, with that relative, with that neighbor, but I didn't. What relationships did you strengthen this past year? What sins have you still not confessed and repented of? What sins are you holding on to? You said at the beginning of the year, maybe it was one of your resolutions. I'm going to deal with that. I'm going to confess that. I'm going to repent of that. I'm not going to continue with that attitude, that spirit, that lust, whatever it may be. Well, still dealing with it. See, this accounting here, I know that we are saved by grace through faith. Our sins are forgiven. But the gospel demands that we give an account to God for what we do with the grace that he's given us. Yes, we receive it. We receive the forgiveness of sins. But with that comes a new freedom that God expects us to walk in. And we need to give an account to God for the choices we make with that new freedom that we have in him. So we need to review those sacred things that we forgot. Jot it down. And by the grace of God, through the Spirit of God, do something about it. So what spiritual priorities were neglected this year? What plans and activities did you leave God out of? I want you to take this little handout, this little bulletin insert, 
And I just want you to allow that to jumpstart you. Again, you may want to just jot down some notes on that piece of paper this afternoon, tomorrow, Tuesday. I want to challenge you, especially men. Most of the ladies probably already do this. I want to challenge you, maybe for the first time in your life, to start journaling, writing some things down so you can go back and read and say, you know, how am I doing? How am I doing? Write these things down. If you're married, pray with your spouse about these things. Plan a date night within the next couple of weeks and say, you know, we're going to sit down at a nice restaurant. We're going to talk about these things. And and invite accountability right there in the home. Maybe as hard as it can be, pull your kids together and talk through these things and pray through these things. Next week, we'll talk about vision. Next week, we'll talk about the dreams and the new commitments we make. We do that every year at the beginning of the year. It's a great time to do it. But before we get there, let's reflect. Let's meditate a little bit on what God is doing now. Would you bow your heads with me?